It's Wednesday, August 31st, 2022, and this is KBIA's Views of the News. Our weekly roundtable on media behaviors comes to you from the Futures Lab studio at the Reynolds Journalism Institute. I'm Amy Simons, and here with me are my colleagues, Kathy Kiley and Ernest Perry. On our program this week, is it a sign of inflation and what people can or can't afford? The Washington Post marks both a loss in digital subscribers and a plateau in digital advertising revenues. Not a good combination, and it could mean a cut of 100 jobs. The administration at a uh, Nebraska high school shut down its 54-year-old student newspaper. We're going to talk about why and what it might mean for scholastic journalism as we head into the new school year. And we're going to pick up on something we didn't get a chance to talk about last week, a new player in the digital space that's attracting young black audiences. There's a lot more that hopefully we're going to get a chance to talk about before our time is up today. But let's start with... Well, this. Stabler, you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Today, Elliot Stabler and the Law and Order Organized Crime crew still has a place in the primetime lineup. You can see new episodes on KOMU on Thursday nights at 9 o'clock. But according to reporting from the Wall Street Journal... NBC executives are considering a plan to drop what East and West Coasters call the 10 o'clock hour, it's 9 o'clock here, from the primetime schedule and give that time back to local stations, presumably for news. Now, anyone who knows me well enough, the two of you know this for sure, I don't make it up until that time anyway. I'm watching Stabler on my DVR or on streaming or whatever that might be. Maybe maybe it is, right? How big of a part of that do you think it is that Audiences' behaviors are changing so much that the entertainment programming that's going into those blocks isn't worth the investment to the network anymore. Yeah, well, this is the, I mean, primetime is all about appointment TV. Um, and it harks back to the day when people would get together and watch the same show at the same time. And that just doesn't happen anymore. So I think uh, what you're seeing primetime was always when the broadcasters could charge the most for the advertising. And I think the audience just isn't there. And so, uh, that's what you're you're seeing that reflected in this decision. I think the question will be, uh, it, on some level, it's uh, maybe to correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like they're offloading the cost of producing that hour to local television stations. And what will local television stations do with that? I think that's a big question. Yeah, I think that's that's really going to be the question. Is you know they they offloaded a lot of the the daytime uh and they they did that it's been over a decade since they offloaded that and nbc is about to do one more step in that very soon they're going to be removing days of our lives right. moving that to peacock to put on another uh midday news national news ne- uh newscast right and and that's what's been happening i yeah. mean if you go to any large market what you're going to find is that they're they're running two hours of news in the middle of the day and then they're coming back at four o'clock and they're running news, at least in the central time zone. They're running, they're running news all the way up until almost seven. So uh, again, I think you're right. They are they're they're giving that back because number one, I think it's cost. Number two, they they it's, it's difficult for the networks to be able to find advertisers and sponsors who wanna who who wanna pick that up. And people are cutting the cord, and they're moving. And now the networks are moving a lot of their content to the streaming platforms because they they're making money both on the subscription and on the advertising on those streaming networks. Yeah, I mean, I was kidding around, but but seriously, the behavior that Amy 
described on her own part is okay. Not I that go to bed at eight <laughs> o'clock. Everyone, I admit it. The but fourth people, graders thing, stay people, up later than I do. You know. Pe- People may not be going to bed, but they get to make the decision on when they want to mm-hmm, watch something. Exactly. So they may record during the week and then binge on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's what people are doing. And as many of those shows are now being streamed, I mean, so you don't have to wait to watch it because they're going to show that new episode on the streaming channel the next day. So, again, you have so many more options there that I think networks are kind of going like, wait a minute, we can we can sort of move some of our uh, some of our production costs or move some of our our time slots to uh, to to other places. Well, and the and if the advertisers aren't going to pay the big dollars, why not? That's right. the key thing. I think if you're not going to get the big dollars that funded those productions, you're going to move. You're going to make a change. Um, I think the big question is going to be what do local stations do with that time? And, you know, it's one thing if you can you can produce news, news, in quotes, cheaply if it's just talking heads. Right. But if you really wanted to produce an educational program or produce news that actually goes out and talks to people and digs for stories, that's a lot more expensive. So We'll have to see, but yeah. I think it creates a huge. It's a challenge, but it's also an opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in the past and even currently, what many of these stations are doing is either they're producing more, as you put in air quotes, news. In <laughs> uh, the air quotes, in part because of lifestyle programming, some of those yeah. which become pay to play, right? Uh, or, or what I would call just pontificators, the, the you know, talking the, the, heads, the talking the heads, heads right. who are just going to. I, I have my opinion. More, you have your opinion, you, and, and especially in, in large markets. Yeah. And and even some medium-sized markets, a lot of that news is crime news, uh-huh. and because it's, it's easy to generate, you just you know follow you know follow the police, Pick follow the, the police fire engines, fire, you know, yeah. and 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 that kind of news expands, which really uh, really doesn't help. It's your a distortion community. of reality. It's a, it's a huge distortion of reality. Or the other thing that they do is they go out and they pick up the syndicated talk shows, and. And I, I think you're going to have some stations that are going to wind up doing that. So now you're going to have any and everybody who who can call in a star to have their own. Bad you know, year for Ellen to go off the air. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, but you raise a really excellent point, Ernest, which is what will happen with these time slots and what we've seen in local radio. You know. We've seen a decline in locally produced radio programming, and usually after your morning drive time, it's all syndicated shows. It's nobody who knows your community, and the syndicated shows are uh, part of what uh, one of our speakers at Friends of the Facts this year called the polarization industrial complex. Um, The idea of we're just going to throw our opinions out there and whip up uh, anger to a fever pitch. And that is really destructive. So the question is, you know, if you use that time to highlight local voices and local news uh, where people see each other as human beings and look at problems as things that have to be solved, not according to some ideological label, then I think that's a really valuable thing. But that costs time. It costs money. And can you sell it? That's the other that's Excellent the other point. Thing. So there was one idea raised by a local news director here in town, somebody not affiliated with the school. His idea was that perhaps NBC should move nightly news from what is the 5.30 half hour here in the Midwest. See, Ernest is thinking, hey, there could be something here to it. Move it from 5.30 to 
our 9.30 and then go into late night news, creating what is truly a national newscast of record that could be live, at least in the contiguous United States, if not also Alaska and Hawaii, as opposed to something that's on at 5.30 here that would then be 3.30 on the on the West Coast, which it's then a repeat. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. But you also have to take into account that most people Buster have... Holt may go to sleep early? Well, <laughs> maybe true. That would be true. <laughs> but, it, it, but it could be one of those situations that people are moving to. I get my news when I want it. Mm-hmm. And I get my news on my phone. Or I get my news on my tablet. Uh, and when I sit down to watch television, I'm sitting down to stream my favorite show. It's not to engage in... I'm in, with you on that. Yeah. I'm totally with you on that. The, the problem with it, though is we, as the news media industry, know and understand those habits are changing, but we're creating additional newscasts because yeah. it's cheap. It's like this but big But it goes back cycle. to what, is, what, is those, what are the newscasts going to actually be? Okay. Is it a lead, Here's the thing. Is it a lead-in into uh, one of the news magazine shows? Like 2020? For, I was going to say, or for like Dateline, uh, which Dateline, frankly, yeah, if you yeah. look through a guide right now, you can watch Dateline on every single, yeah, like every, 24 hours a day, you can watch Dateline right. somewhere. And actually, I read that Dateline has also now launched a premium podcast, so you can pay to listen to Dateline, right. too. Right, Yeah. Again, well, cheap programming. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I kind of like that idea, because mm-hmm. I think what it could do potentially is give people kind of the the video equivalent of what a newspaper used to be which is it is a 24-hour news cycle at the end of which news professionals have sat down and said this is the most important story then this is the second most important story and this is the third and and put things in some kind of an order and a package that makes sense Uh, that is not happening in the way people consume news now I think people are gonna um, i have some nostalgia for that Mm -hmm. and so I think it's an interesting idea and um, why not at the end of the day sum it up yeah Yeah. I like it and what that also would do is take away anybody who's had a conversation with me about news coverage and East Coast bias knows that like I scream from the rooftops there is life in this country west of the Hudson River and that move also acknowledges that and that things are happening in other parts of the country that happen after five o'clock here wouldn't it be interesting if they moved the newscast location to Chicago they tried that (laughs) didn't didn't hang for for a long time but for a late night it could it It could it could yeah okay Well, we don't always do the greatest job of covering ourselves, right? But covering the competition is easy. The New York Times showed that yesterday with its reporting on the rather serious financial struggles at the Washington Post. It seems with the pace of the news cycle slowing, uh, following some of the end of the Trump presidency, readers are turning their attention elsewhere. Digital subscriptions are reportedly down this year by the millions, and digital advertising is stagnant. 
pregnant. And now the paper is on track to lose money this year for the first time since Jeff Bezos bought the post in 2013. Is this an example of expansion over expansion and over expansion? Because the piece really goes into some painstaking detail about what some of those plans looked like. And it was kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, the one that I was really interested in was they had initially planned that Hillary Clinton was going to win the election. Uh, And they had a whole, I mean, it was basically a strategic plan for how they were going to position the Washington Post to be able to take advantage of a Clinton presidency. Well, that didn't happen, and they got Trump, and they had to pivot. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think some of that pivoting actually helped to boost uh, uh, the, the numbers for them because they really went all in on, on what was happening within D.C. During, during the age of Trump. And now that that's over, they don't have a strategic plan for how do you pivot to Biden or how do you pivot to covering the rest of the country. And now they've expended a lot of money and saying, OK, we're going to have to expand our reach. Uh, and so now they're having to deal with that. Well, almost like at, a real estate bubble for news. Yeah, almost. No, I think the Trump bubble. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this yeah. is the this is the. I'm not sure that it was such a strategic plan on the Washington Post part. As oh no, it the was. plan was for Clinton. Right, the plan <laughs> was for Clinton. It was yeah, called and, Operation Skyfall because yeah. they thought they thought they were going to lose lose. Uh, circulation. Right, yeah. right. So I think uh, what happened, this is proof of what Les Moonves said, which is it might not be good for the country, but it's damn good for news. Right. I mean, the Trump presidency uh, was extremely good for news. And you can see it even now with Joe Biden's about to give a major address uh, later this week. And what's everyone talking about? Not the current president's major address, but the past president's problems with the FBI. So Trump is a news magnet. um, And without him, you're going to have problems. The other thing about this, though, is I think this reflects a serious doubt about Jeff Bezos's strategy. Because Jeff, I remember when Marty Baron came in to the Washington Post when the Grams still owned it. He talked about local news. He wanted to create a really strong local news report and build the Post's roots back up because there's obviously a national newspaper. They're very important. They're known for their investigations. But he wanted to recreate the local news report. Not long after that, the Grams sold the paper to Bezos, and Bezos' strategy was to create an international news organization that builds clicks by covering national and international news. Well, when things get quiet, and you don't have your national news or your local news base, Mm -hmm. this is what happens. Well, and part of the story also mentioned some of those strategies was that they were looking at the potential of buying the Associated Press, buying The Economist or The Guardian, but they abandoned it because they recognized that The Post didn't have that international reputation that it would take to become the English language newspaper of record. And, And part of the problem that I think he also underestimated mm-hmm. was the strength of the New York Times exactly. and the fact that even if, if you look at the way in which media is shifting in this country, there's really only room for one national newspaper. And the New York Times had pretty much staked its claim on that. And I think Jeff Bezos was trying to say, no, we can actually have two. And what we're maybe finding out is that really, no, you can only have one. I think that's absolutely right. And I think by abandoning your local franchise, you leave yourself then 
open when when people are now not as hungry for that national news as they had been in the past they're going to go to the new york times and who's going to go to the washington post which is not covering its own backyard right okay so there there's several more than a dozen people who were interviewed for that story who were granted anonymity fearing retribution and it's been said that there could be as many as a hundred layoffs coming mm. to that newsroom. And a hundred layoffs is a really scary number. Um, I will admit my math is not good. And I got called out on bad math last week. So I'm going to be really careful. This is 10% of the newsroom. And proportionally speaking, I want to talk about what it means to lose a hundred jobs in a newsroom where there would still be 900 people there and working. It's still going to it's going to make it difficult for him to meet that metric of yeah. being a national and an international. But it's also going to where those cuts happen yeah. is going to be key. I think you're right. If the idea is to go more local and to retrench, you don't want to cut those people. So what happens is you're going to have to either take from your national desk or you're going to have to take from international, which means that his 24 hour plan where yeah. he had bases in i think it was in london and, and seoul and, and seoul and and so that there's 24-hour coverage that may get scaled back okay well we are in the waning hours of august and that means schools are pretty much all back in session or will be by next week for the journalism students at northwest high school in grand island nebraska things are looking a little bit different and that's because there isn't a journalism program there anymore. Administrators cut it in June after the newspaper staff published its year-end edition of, get this, the name of the paper is The Saga. Uh, it had a series of articles on the origins and history of Pride Month. And what's interesting here is that word of the elimination of this program ended up getting out because the school administration emailed the newspaper, the local newspaper, The Independent, because they had the contract for the actual printing of the publication. And the newspaper found out that the journalism program was being nixed because that contract was canceled the day after that edition ran, the day after the press run on that edition. Yeah, well, this is, we've seen this happen before. And, um, and it's unfortunate because, um, Students are interested in the world around them, and they're going to write about things like this. And I think, um, you know, uh, this is kind of the heavy-handed, old-fashioned style of censorship straight out of the Soviet Union. Um, it makes the schools look bad. It deprives the students of an opportunity uh, to learn to write better, to learn to report better. I mean, I think if the, uh, the schools objected to the content, they could have talked to the students about it. Um, there are all kinds of ways that you could handle that in a way that respects the First Amendment and the students' right to free speech. So uh, it's just really unfortunate to see a school board do something like this that is antithetical to education. Well, but you're gonna, I think you're going to see more and more of this mm -hmm. because of the what's happened with the school boards and how polarized many of these school boards have become. And they're putting in these policies. And a lot of these policies have more to do with trying to to, to, to sort of push a, a political agenda uh, or, a, or a moral agenda. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you can sort of eliminate 
uh, the student press, if you can eliminate the teaching of certain parts of history, if you can eliminate uh, the, 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 the sort of uh, issues going along in athletics in terms of transgender students not being able to play on teams that, that, that uh, are, are... Don't match, uh, don't match an their, athlete's sex right, at birth, assigned right, sex exactly, at birth. Exactly, so you're going to see more and more of this. I mean, this is just an extension of that. Well, and it's really the intellectual equivalent of the Great Wall of China, trying to say, we're going to keep out any ideas that we think are threatening to us. And of course, what happened to the Chinese civilization that put up the Great Wall? It wasn't a good news thing. So I think allowing students free debate and allowing students to explore some of these ideas is a lot more healthy. It's really unfortunate. So the ACLU and the Nebraska Press Association, they are on it. What are they doing at this point? Go ahead. <laughs> no, I mean basically they're 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 fighting. They're mm-hmm. they're trying to those two organizations along with the student press uh, student uh, law, uh, which is a great organization. organization. Law Center, yes. yes, they're 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 basically trying to figure out how they can go in there and and support this. But one of the things they're also doing nationwide is trying to figure out you know how can uh, how can we strengthen. Uh, student journalism, scholastic journalism, because I think it really is important. Uh, and 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 if they don't do that now, you're going to see more and more of these defunding efforts. Because mm-hmm. what they're basically saying is that look, now we're not going to, uh, as a principal, we're not going to give the principal the authority to determine whether the story is good or bad. We're just going to take the funding away, mm-hmm. and you won't be able to publish anything, anything. about anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's their way Except of dealing Except there with is it. always the Internet. And so I predict what you're going to see is, uh, like, back in the 60s, we used to have underground publications. And uh, and you will see, and it's a lot easier to do an underground newspaper now with the Internet. So um, ideas will them. find a way to be there. Yeah. So right. what can we do as citizens, as taxpayers, to better support scholastic journalism. It becomes really obvious what we can do to support commercial journalism or public media. What about on that scholastic level to to really encourage these teens? Yeah, I mean, I think talk to, well, first of all, read their work Mm -hmm. and talk to them about it, but also whether you agree or disagree. You know, that's the most important thing is give students feedback. But then the second thing to do is make it known to your school board that you think this, just like band or athletics or any other extracurricular activity has a role to play in education. And I think that is what we as taxpayers, we have to push back because clearly there are people on the other side who want to be censorious. And so people who feel that that's wrong need to speak up and need to tell their elected representatives how they feel. My big ask of anybody who disagrees and wants to give that feedback, remember you're talking to a kid who's learning, be kind, give constructive feedback, don't be a troll. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Please be kind. But you know, this troll. community has been pretty good with our, our community, students. Yes, wonderful. Our community, yes, our community is yeah. wonderful. And so you can really see. I'm just saying see. in general, we, we broadcast to the internet, be kind. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I, I'm no. I agree. I think I think we should do that. But I, the other thing I would say is that you're right. I mean, that information is going to get out there. So if if this whole idea that somehow, some way, by defunding it is going to stop it or stall it, that's not going to happen. 
And 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 the other thing too is that there's other news that these these, these publications put out. It's not the, the the controversial things or the polarizing issues well, that they, issue, they, they write about. Something also. about their local 4-H. Absolutely like, right. Well, and the other thing is that if you if you go to an underground paper that is unsupervised, those students are working without any educator helping them. If they're working in a classroom with an advisor, they are getting adult feedback and adult supervision, and they're getting the push-pull. Um, well, what do you think? Do you have a backup for that? Why? What do you have? <laughs> why can you say that? And if you if you cut out the school funding, there's none of that, and so it can just go to crazy rumor mills on the internet yeah. we you yeah. know more somebody bad puts stuff. up a facebook yeah. page or an instagram page and then there you go you know the reason i just chuckled as you said that was i had this immediate image of the parent who says i want to be the cool parent and if my high school kid is going to drink i want them to drink at home with me so that i can take care of them and give them guidance i don't want them going out and partying by themselves in some way it's that similar argument I'm not saying I buy that one right. about being yeah. the cool parent that's throwing the party. But it's kind of that same thing of like if there's the guidance that's there, you have that ability to provide the feedback for the student to learn and to refine their craft. And, and I'd and, much rather have a student working on a team with schools where they debate with their principal or their teachers what they can put in the paper and with each other than being at home alone in front of a computer screen posting whatever um, and looking at um, images that might be upsetting to them i i just think it's much or, healthier or running amok of libel laws yeah. because exactly there because they don't know what they're doing exactly. because hello the internet doesn't come with an owner's manual <laughs> <That's right. laughs> okay well that's true before we go i want to take a minute to introduce our audience to a new online only regional news outlet that's getting some attention from outside the state and i don't just mean in kansas meet the kansas city defender a new nonprofit news site that's trying to reach young black audiences on both sides of the Missouri Kansas state line and across the Midwest. It's a really fun site to read with a mix of local news, activism, pop culture. What stood out to me was on the about page. It, it seems that a good number of the staffers there have come out of the journalism program at Howard University. That this is an offshoot of HBCU education, right? And and it, it is an offshoot of that. The 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 person that started it went to an HBCU, and actually was not in journalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of them come out of of, of other areas. The thing that really uh, surprised, not so much surprised me, but uh, kind of gave me a little bit uh, to, to think about was the fact that they are very upfront in the type of news organization that they're going to be. They're very upfront about advocacy, very upfront about uh, uh, adhering to the tenets of the black press uh, and, and the history of the black press. And they're, so they're going to cover movements. They're going to cover uh, stories in a way that is not going toward the establishment, uh, those types of things. But then they're also going to highlight uh, up-and-coming uh, artists, up-and-coming movement activists in a way that the the legacy media or the mainstream media doesn't do it. And I think that that's what's really generating the buzz behind the Kansas City Defender. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I think uh, there are a lot of historic uh, African-American publications, including the St. Louis uh, American. Uh, But 
we've all thought, oh, well, that's time has passed. But I think what you're seeing, especially with the Internet, is smart people going for niche audiences. And um, and I think this is an example of that, of somebody saying there's an audience out there that is interested in the news that we want to produce, and we have an opportunity not to be like the Washington Post was trying to be with Jeff Bezos, the, the news source for the world, but we are going to cater, we're going to pick our slice of the pie, cater to this group of readers and really build an audience and build a relationship with readers. And I think that's a winning formula. It's not a local community, it's a community of interest, but it's the same idea of this is a community that we're going to know, we're going to cultivate, and find some loyalty there. Yeah, my hope is that they're able to secure enough funding to be able to sustain it yeah. for a long period of time because that's what happens with a lot of, of The of funders these. have to be willing to lose the, money for ab- a while. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, well, we are just about out of time for this week. I would like to thank you for spending the last half hour with us. Read more about each of the topics we talked about today and one that we didn't have time to talk about. That's about um, information from research funded by the government now being made available publicly in academic journals. You can read more about that on our links blog under both the programs and podcast tab at kbia.org. We're also available wherever you get your podcast downloads, including iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is at views on KBIA. These are all great ways to watch and listen to our program again, leave comments, questions, see what we'll be talking about next week, and more. Our thanks to RJI's Travis McMillan for directing today's show and Kyle Felling for handling the audio. Tim Pilcher composed our theme music, and I'm Amy Simons. We'll be in touch next week. Have a good day.